Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are right here every week, every Friday, usually up and running uh, with our new podcast. And you can uh, get those shows right off of MoneyMD.net yeah, or even iTunes. Yeah, that's right. There's a link on the right-hand uh, side of the website, Steve, that people can click on there. It takes you out to the historical podcast where you can look and listen, download. Uh, if you have different topics of interest to you, college, planning, long-term care, things like that, and uh, you can download them, and that's what a lot of our clients are doing, just downloading them and listening to them when they're on the beach or At their leisure, wherever. go back and listen to old shows. That's you right. Know, listed by topics. So that's a great way to do it. <clears throat> um, also, do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there, and you can email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll answer those questions on the air as they come in, and uh, you can also reach us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have a great show lined up for today. Yeah, but um, before that, I mean, we, this is a special time of the year, right? That's true. This is football season. South isn't it? Carolina is is undefeated. Right undefeated? Now. Wow! What are they ranked now? I can't remember. Well, they're they're one and zero. Oh. One and zero. Oh, I mean, we're not ranking. talking about ranking. They're oh, undefeated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're, they're okay. Undefeated. Yeah, yeah. We're we're undefeated we too. Haven't barely lost yet. by the skin well, that, of our teeth. That Clemson. Was a good game, yeah, yeah, we. Uh, we skimmed by Auburn, but yeah. uh, it was an exciting game, yeah, you know. You, you went to it? I did go to it, actually. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a fun. They have a cool setup down there. Yeah, do. A lot like Clemson. Yeah. They have the War Eagle that flies in. I saw that on TV. From outside yeah. and then swoops around the stadium. Those are huge birds. That's that, amazing. that is a very cool beginning to a game. Very impressive. I, that was very so impressive. Both that teams was, are 1-0. Their national title is still up there for both of us right now. Yep. Yep, Just saying that may true. not be there very hey, long. So one and zero, there we go. Yeah, who knows? You got to crow about it while you can. <laughs> who do you play this coming week? Yeah, Mississippi yeah. State. I don't even know who we play. I Troy. Troy. Yeah, we're yeah. we're back to the. I think you'll. Yeah, we're back to the no name schools. Yeah. That's good. That's what we need. We need some cupcake starts here. That was a, that was a tight one last week. Okay, but getting back to our show, we do have a great show lineup for the day. I mean, we're going to talk about the millionaire secrets how they maintain their wealth. You know, it's one thing to build wealth. Mm-hmm. It's another to be able to keep it. And this is a great article out of the Associated Press um, and uh, out of Nerd, from Nerd Wallet. And uh, it, it has some great tips here about how millionaires actually keep their wealth after they make it, not only making it. So Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, uh, great topic. And then we're going to follow that up with uh, questions to ask before I do. And probably the most important one is, uh, who's your favorite team? You know, that's a very important question. That could be, if you're uh, not on the same page with that, that then you could, just forget it, yeah, right? Yeah, just don't even get married. Then, <laughs> so, but there are some other financial questions that you want to make sure you cover For sure. and uh, talk about and make sure you're on the same page. So we'll that's true. jump into that, that. That'll be a good one, definitely. Okay, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Government Accountability Office, also known as the GAO. 
and 44% of households in the United States headed by a currently employed individual, so they're working, um, they have no money, Steve, invested in a, in a pre-tax uh, defined contribution plan like a 401k or a 403b, so almost half of working adults have no savings for retirement. So they're going to rely on that good old strong system of Social Security, which is Yeah, scary. that's sad. It really is um, because, I mean, almost half, uh, you know, that's they're only going to have maybe a pension, probably no pension, and just Social Security. And if you see somebody try to live off Social Security in retirement, which we do see folks mm-hmm. occasionally because mm-hmm. we do a lot of pro bono counseling for folks that are, you know, having trouble with debt and things, and um, you know, it's just no way to ever get ahead if that's all the income you have. Yeah, the average Social Security payment is like eleven hundred bucks. Exactly. And that's it. Exactly. I mean, that's you can't survive on eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, even if you had, even if you had a great job, you know, your whole life and, and maxed out the wage base, still you're looking at maybe two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't live off that um, if you're used to, you know, a, a decent lifestyle. Right. So that's a great fact of the week. Um, very important, too, that people be aware of that and make changes. Yeah, that's right. Save yes, for retirement. But what about the millionaires? You know, the other side <laughs> of the of the uh, society here, financial world, how do they maintain their wealth? I mean, the way most Americans build wealth is no secret. Right, they save, they invest, repeat, repeat, repeat again and again, mm-hmm. and over time, um, you know, they can build a lot of wealth. However, the average people, um, they keep their wealth. How do they keep their wealth? Is really the question. Um, that gets a lot less attention, and this is a critical part of the process. Studies show that about eighty percent of wealth never makes it to the third generation. Hmm. So there is good reason to look hard at how to keep wealth after it's earned and make sure that it continues to work for you and your family for years to come. Yeah, and Steve, it really boils down to how they handle risk. I mean, it's hard to accumulate wealth without taking some risk, but there are perils that the successful next-door millionaires, they seem to avoid. And these next-door millionaires, they weren't born into wealth. I mean, they, they haven't invented a killer app or won the lottery. Uh, they haven't exercised Apollo stock options or played professional sports. I mean, they're the majority of the millionaires. They include teachers, small business owners, and professionals who accumulate wealth gradually over time. And they're often in their 50s or 60s um, before their net worth um, ticks over you know, to, to the seven digits. So it takes decades to, to build this. That's right. But research into how they think and act, it can give us regular folks out there some great insight, and if you can pass these characteristics down to your kids, you have a great chance that it can continue for generations to come. So here are some of the rules of thumb that you might consider applying to your own finances from the uh, millionaire studies out there. First, um, there's the one house, one spouse rule. Mm-hmm. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that really boils it down, doesn't it? One house, one spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, marriage can really benefit your financial life. Um, people who get married and stay married tend to be much wealthier than the never married singles, according to research by uh, you know, Ohio State University. By retirement age, married people have nearly 10 times the financial assets of singles, according to this study by the National Bureau of Economic Hmm. Research. But divorce can dramatically shrink your wealth. 
Um, what they found was people who split up experience an average drop in wealth of 77%. Wow, that's wow, a big drop. I mean, you have two households at that point you're taking care of. That's right. So 77% drop, you know, so while the over-rich, you know, may be able to divorce and remarry with relative impunity, dividing up assets can be wickedly costly for everyone else and and quickly destroy what took decades to build up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that. We We, do see that, unfortunately. Yeah, so so sticking with one house can pay off as well. I mean, every time you sell your house and you buy another one, you're giving up a chunk of your wealth to commissions and moving costs. Uh, You know, trading up also means staying in debt longer if you take on a new 30-year mortgage with each purchase. So, you know, if if your home has appreciated substantially, you may also own capital gains tax on that sale. And there are some exemptions for singles and, and, and couples as well, pretty large ones, $500,000 for a couple. Uh, and there are also some ancillary expenses like new curtains, appliances, landscaping, um, you know, other upgrades. And, and moving also, Steve, is a lot more expensive than people realize. So moving houses, um, and we see people moving around quite a bit. I mean, they start in a smaller house and have kids and so forth, and they want more space, but it is expensive. Very expensive. That does end up costing a lot. Usually, people take on a new mortgage, you know, as you mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and uh, stretch it back out, and that just eats into your wealth over time. Also, if you intend to keep your house and be, and give it to your heirs, it gets an updated value for tax purposes, and that gain is income tax free. So, paying off a single mortgage over time or refinancing only. For shorter term loans, can you leave with a ton of equity um, that you can borrow against as well in an emergency or use to help finance your retirement? So there's some other reasons to mm-hmm. to keep the same house. Yeah, the second one here then on the list is to take risk but don't gamble. Um, so it has to do with risk here. I mean, safe investments don't get you anywhere. The returns on treasury bills and, and bank accounts insured by the FDIC don't even keep up with inflation. So you're actually losing wealth over time if you're invested in all fixed income. But the next door millionaires aren't speculators either. You know, millionaires' uh, portfolios tend to be widely diversified with investments in stocks, bonds, cash, and real estate. The most popular investment choice, low-cost index funds, according to the 2014 uh, CNBC Millionaire Survey. Um, investments in low-cost, widely diversified funds that give you exposure to all types of stocks and markets is the most popular investment by millionaires. It's the old adage of diversification. Millionaires seem to know that this is a key to building and maintaining wealth by getting market returns without taking more risk than it's necessary to do. Yeah. So that's right up there with our philosophy. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I, I agree with that. And the next one here I agree with as well. Teach your children well. I mean, some people question the value of a college education, but in wealthy families it's usually a given. Um, you know, Nine out of ten millionaires surveyed by BMO Private Bank in 2013 had a college degree and over half had a professional or graduate degree. And so for comparison, just 36% of people uh, ages 25 to 29 had college degrees in 2015, and only 9% had graduate degrees. So, you know, they're saying education does provide some additional benefits, which, I mean, I agree with. It doesn't, it's not, an, it's not required, but it does help. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. It certainly helps. You see folks that are really wealthy that <clears throat> didn't sure. get a college degree, but, you know, it, it's certainly the, the larger percentage. For the average person, it's going to make average a difference. Average percentage, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it says 8 out of 10 millionaires told the 2014 CNBC Millionaire Survey that wealth inequality was due at least in part to wealthier families' greater access to education. I could see that hmm. a little bit. Um, yeah, encouraging your kids, though, to go to college and helping to make, pay for it, uh, if possible, could help your kids get on the right side and have, uh, you know, the right side of having money and versus, you know, not they have not. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great tip. All right, next one here though is uh, don't do it yourself. Your money, don't D- DIY hmm. your money. Um, thought this is interesting. Seven out of ten millionaires surveyed in the Spectrum Group 2014 used financial advisors. Many said the primary benefits were improving their knowledge of investing, having access to a wider range of investment opportunities, and boosting their returns. Also on the list is peace of mind, being able to to delegate to experts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that. We see people coming in all the time that are kind of in that uh, in that realm. And, you know, you don't have to have a fleet of advisors, attorneys, or tax pros, especially if you don't have a lot of money. But, you know, there's other forms of expert guidance. Um, you know, target date funds are an option. There are, um, you know, automated financial advisors, um, you know, that can help you with uh, the investing and rebalancing of the money. Um, these approaches tend to be carefully designed and executed with the eye of uh, balancing risk and return. So, you know, you don't have necessarily human interaction, which a lot of people need uh, to be successful, but it, there are different options out there. Yeah, definitely a lot of ways to get some good advice. Um, finally here is don't worry so much about taxes since a big tax bill means you're winning. Um, that's an interesting take on the taxes here. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I mean, a tax bill of any size means you're doing better than a lot of Americans. A large chunk of U.S. households, 45.3%, according to the latest Tax Policy Center inst- estimate, uh, don't pay federal income taxes because they don't have enough taxable income. Now, they still owe state taxes, and, and most uh, you know pay Social Security and Medicare taxes, so they pay some payroll taxes. But, yeah, a lot of people don't pay any taxes because they simply don't make any money. So you can't always be concerned about taxes. Having said that, you don't want to pay more than your fair mm-hmm, share either mm-hmm. because it can take a huge bite out of your investments. So that goes back to the, the previous Ish, uh, point of Do it, yeah. you know getting with an advisor or somebody that really knows taxes and, and finding the best way to avoid taxes with your investing. Yeah, the loathing some people have for taxes can lead them to do pretty stupid things with their money. I mean, they might buy variable annuities to defer taxes, not realizing that the excessive fees can erode their returns, um, that they could end up paying more taxes in the long run. Also, annuity withdrawals or taxes ordinary income while other investments may qualify for lower capital gains rates. Or they keep a mortgage just for the tax deduction, which is like giving somebody a dollar just so you can get a quarter or two back in change. (laughs) (laughs) So never made sense. That's right. So it's okay to consider those strategies to reduce taxes, but tax considerations should not drive your investments or your financial decisions. And I agree with that. So I think that's a great point. Yeah, great article. All right, good point. And that leads us up here to our fa- our uh, question, question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, pulling money out of IRAs. Um, how many? How much taxes should I withhold 
uh, we'll assume it's a traditional IRA or rollover IRA because on Roth accounts there are no taxes generally. Right. Um, so it, you know when you pull money out of an IRA, Steve, you basically are taking. Let's say you pull ten thousand out. You're going to add that to any other income source. So if it's you had W two income, it's your marginal rate. So if you're already in a twenty five percent tax bracket, you know, and you pull ten thousand out, then you're going to have to save, you know, twenty five percent in federal and probably five to seven percent in, in state. So you know, thirty percent roughly would be a reasonable estimate. But you know, it's one of the things we spend a lot of time on making sure we understand the tax bill so people aren't surprised. So spend some time understand what the taxes are before you start pulling money out. Yeah, you definitely depends on your situation. You got to know what your income bracket is and what that money, additional money, is going to fall in. For a lot of people, for retirees, they're in a fifteen percent bracket. So usually, fifteen percent federal and another six percent state takes care of it for mm-hmm. most people around here. Um, but it could be dramatically different than that. So you know, get with an advisor or somebody that you can trust and that knows the tax codes and, and get some advice on that or do the research yourself and make sure you know exactly where you fall tax-wise when you uh, take money out of your IRA. Mm-hmm. And then have it withheld, you know. Don't depend yeah, on, Don't you know, wait till the April. It. Yep. You don't want to pay in April. Yeah, go ahead and have it withheld. <clears throat> So a great question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, questions to ask before saying I do. Yeah, so what what college did you go to would be a question. Um, (laughs) Of course, I met my spouse at college. Oh, that solves that problem. UOC Aiken, the pacer, pace setter. There you you go, pace setter. You met Kathy at Clemson? I did. Okay, so you kind of knew, already knew that answer. Yeah, well, you're probably going to know that answer if you're a young person. More than likely, more than likely. So, yeah, but there's a lot of financial questions. I mean, you know, Steve, there there are only two kinds of people in this world when it comes to finances, spending, spenders, and savers, right? Dave Dave calls them nerds and free spirits. So (laughs) we'll we'll stick with spenders and savers. And, um, you know, for better or worse, they tend to marry each other, and we see that a lot of times. uh, so says longtime financial writer Terry Savage, who has uh, co-written a new book on how to discuss and negotiate key money issues with your spouse-to-be uh, to give your relationship the best chance to succeed. So uh, great topic. Dave Ramsey talks a lot about this as well. But um, there are you know, some books that are written out there, and obviously we can, we can help also. Yeah, exactly. And while you probably can't change your mate's basic money personality, you, you can avoid arguments and hidden uh, resentments by talking honestly about your finances and putting certain plans in place before you head down the aisle. Um, with wedding season, you know, coming up every every spring and fall, right? I mean, it comes up two or three times a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's the inv- basic investing basic checklist for people that are about to tie the knot. I, mean, I think this is a good list. Yeah, number one here is take inventory. I mean, the most important thing to talk with uh, with your, you know, your soon-to-be spouse is about your debts. Take an inventory of what assets each one of you has. Make a list. Just sit down and start documenting. One way to start the conversation is to swap credit reports preferably over a nice bottle of wine, um, you know, so it won't go, <laughs> yeah. won't go too, too You too might need south. a big bottle of wine yeah, if you have right. some people's credit report. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If your spouse-to-be is on the hook for student loans or child support, you know, discuss whether, you know, you're going to help and what extent you're going to help bear the cost. Um, credit scores are also a source of stress in one out of five marriages, but spouses who discuss credit scores before marriage, they're more likely to agree on how to use credit as a couple, um, you know, and if you talk to Dave Ramsey, he's going to tell you not to use it at all. So that's, again, that's a discussion point. So make sure you take inventory and you understand what, um, 
what what uh, the whole situation is. The the next thing that you have to do is is um, you have to systematize um, the information. So you have to decide you know how you're going to handle the money. While it's while it's understandable that some couples, you know, particularly older ones, are being remarried, they prefer to keep their accounts separate. At least at first, you know, a lot of financial advisors recommend working towards paying all the joint expenses out of uh, a joint account. So you combine the f finances and start kind of working through that process. And, you know, marriage is complicated uh, to begin with. And, you know, this is, this is one way to simplify things to make sure you're on the same page. Yeah, and, and what they say here is if you, if you earn an income, consider having your paycheck directly deposited into separate accounts, then automatically transferring a certain amount, um, perhaps proportionately of your income, into a joint account, checking account. Um, from which you'll pay most of your bills online. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that works really well, particularly for folks that are getting married the second time, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I like to see people just put it all in one account, yep. count it as, as all joint money. Right. And make decisions on it. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. So you got to make sure you understand, you know, how, you, how are you going to do your, your details, your budgets, and so forth. So... That's a good one. Next one here on the list is set common goals. I mean, you know, from, from there, once you have that joint account set up, you, you might set up additional joint accounts for short-term um, and medium-term goals, such as maybe saving to buy a car uh, or even a house. And this is going to require you to do a budget. So both people need to be flexible in that process and just sit down and talk about it. So as an example, let's say you're, you're used to saving $200 a paycheck for a rainy day fund but your partner thinks that's overkill. I mean, you might agree to instead save $100 plus part of any tax refunds or bonuses uh, that come along in order to um, to make that happen. So, again, it's Steve, it's just setting common goals and making sure you're both um, on the on the same page. So another one on the list here is, is saving for retirement. One makes a dime without putting something away for retirement. You and your partner don't necessarily have to save the identical amounts, um, equal is not synonymous with, with being fair, but you, know, you should definitely coordinate how much you're going to save and in what savings vehicles. If one partner has you know, a 401k matching contribution, it may make sense to save in that, you know, in that, in that bucket versus, versus not. So um, you know, that's kind of where we spend a lot of time, you and I, uh, on working with clients. It's sometimes they're newly married, sometimes they're not, but helping them figure out where they're going to save and how to take advantage of matches and Roths and things like that. So exactly. make sure that's that's taken into account as well. And then you, another piece is managing risk. That's right. Um, you definitely need to, to look at managing risk. So consider whether or not you'll need insurance. And if so, factor those premiums into your budget. I mean, if you're buying a home together, you probably need life insurance. <clears throat> um, disability insurance can't hurt either. And don't forget to change beneficiaries on existing insurance policies. That's a big one. It really is. You know, when you get married, you want to name your spouse, of course, as your primary beneficiary, most likely, um, as well as on retirement accounts and the so-called, you know, TOD accounts, pay-on-death accounts, which supersede your will, and they'll go directly to your beneficiaries. So make sure you consider the amount of risk you have and that your spouse is covered in the event something happens to you for income, mm -hmm. disability income, so have, you know, life insurance and maybe disability insurance. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there there's some other provisions that you have to look at and make sure you understand. Uh, you know, they, this goes on, Steve, to talk about considering a, a prenuptial 
I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Um, you know, if neither you or your partner is equipped to talk about financial ma- matters, you may want to enlist the help of a close friend, relative, financial advisor, maybe a lawyer. Get someone else involved to help kind of facilitate that conversation. Uh, everyone should have a written discussion, and a written agreement um, can't hurt. You know, if you do, if you do the the right process, and at the very least, what will come out of it is an enlightenment. Enlightenment. And also, you'll have a plan for handling the financial issues. So I'm not sure the prenuptial. I don't. No, I don't really agree, agree with that piece. <clears throat> uh, some people do it because they they feel more comfortable doing it. But um, these other ones, taking the inventory, setting common goals. I mean, those you got to talk about this stuff before you get married. Otherwise, it's going to be an issue when you do get married. That's right. I think if you get prenups, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you're you're a lot more likely to get a divorce. I don't know the numbers on that, but. It just seems to me you're you're kind of setting the conditions for you know it not working out later yeah, and yeah. and for you to to bail um, <clears throat> and if you do that we've already talked about you know the fact that divorce is very very expensive mm-hmm. so you know one spouse one house right is yeah. the way that millionaires get to be millionaires and keep their wealth so you don't want to go into it with that mindset I like to go into the mindset that you're absolutely never going to get divorced. Um, but having said that, you know, I mean, if you have a complicated situation, if you're second marriage, then certainly, you know, consult an advisor and and you might need to set some things up to protect your kids and your family. But, uh, you know, really important thing. I, I'm a big proponent of getting some financial counseling before mm-hmm. you get married. Yeah, I agree. I think sitting down with somebody like ourselves or, or a financial planner or, you know, even, uh, <clears throat> you know, somebody, a counselor at your church. Um, is very, very important and making sure you're on the same page with all these issues and you talk through mm-hmm. all these issues because there's so many things that you have to be on the same page at before you get married and you at least have to discuss them before you get sure. married. You don't want them to come up and be a surprise. You yeah. know, you want to know where each other, everybody stands financially. You know, I see some couples that go into marriage and they didn't know that their spouse had yeah. $30,000 of credit card right, debt right. <clears throat> you know, or something stupid like that. Yeah, the, Dave Ramsey has a great course at Financial Peace University. Is a, you know, it's nine it weeks. Is. It's very comprehensive, um, but it's a great course to see a lot of couples, young couples or even you know couples that are thinking about getting married um, going through that. So that's another good resource. That's a great place, to, <clears throat> great thing to do before mm-hmm. you get married. I agree. So... Good topic. All right, and that leads us up here to our final one, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is to purchase an umbrella policy. And, Steve, you know, this is a pretty inexpensive way of providing some additional protection. The way that works is, you know, you have to have your homeowner's insurance and also your, your auto insurance. This kind of goes on top of it. It's, you know, if you have 300000 of coverage on your, your car insurance and you're in a wreck um, and you cause significant damage to individuals or property, and you're sued for a million dollars, you're responsible for that other 700. That's so an right. umbrella, you can get a million dollar policy, which will cover that that other 700. It's only a couple hundred bucks a year. So it's pretty cheap in insurance. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your situation, because I have one too, and it seems to be more expensive. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. but So, I mean, you know, look at the price, shop around, but it's a great point. I mean, it is, it is important coverage. If you have assets. Now, if you don't have any assets, yeah. if you're young you you know, and it. you're just getting started, you probably don't need it. Um, but if you have a lot of assets, you're 50 years old and you've been saving you know, for retirement and you have a lot of assets outside of your retirement plans, big house, you know, lots of things um, that you're trying to protect, then uh, you know, an umbrella policy is the best way to do that. I mean, it covers all your liability. Mm-hmm. It covers your car wrecks, any kind of you know liability that you have from an accident that your kids may have. 
um, you know, above the limits of your normal car policy, which is something like three hundred thousand dollars. Right, right. You know, you need something to carry that on up because if you know if somebody gets killed, you know, I mean, you know, it's gonna be a big for, number. Heaven forbid, it's gonna be a big number, mm-hmm. right? If you have an accident, so uh, to protect yourself, ultimately, an umbrella policy really is the way to go. So yep. I'd look at that um, again if you have substantial assets that you want to protect. That's a great way to really protect your your wealth, um, just like we talked about in our first That's segment. Right. Ties right into that. Exactly. Okay. Well, that brings us a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Um, tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.